Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Tuesday, February 1st. I cannot. I can't. Mark, February. January is a blur. I know. Mark likes to say we are just one month closer to August, where the Jill on Money Show will be taking a, a hiatus of at least three weeks and maybe four, which would be fantastic. Do you think we could do four, Mark? I think we should try to prep for four and see what happens. I'm very European of us to take the month of August off. It would be great. Anyway, if only we could go to Europe. We might be able to by then. I mean, I am thinking about Europe for 4th of July weekend, I must say. That's something that is coming up in our um, possibilities. I'm very excited about my twice rescheduled trip. Now, maybe the third time's a charm. Let's just see. Anyway, this is a program that takes the mystery out of your financial life. It helps you take control of your financial life, but only if you let us know what's on your mind. Go to JillOnMoney.com, click the contact button, and let us help you out. That is what Craig did. Craig says, hi, in general, without going into a portfolio analysis, how do you view exchange-traded funds versus index funds? I understand the basics of each, and I wonder if the lower capital gains of exchange-traded funds might be better on my taxes because I'm in a higher bracket. Just trying to minimize Uncle Sam's reach. Thanks. Well, listen, Craig, here's the thing. If you know the basics, that's great, but not everybody else does. So let me just say that for everyone listening, an exchange-traded fund and an index fund are actually quite different in many ways because an index fund, which is a basket of securities based on some index, is a passive investment tool. And as a mutual fund, it is priced at the end of the trading session. So if at two o'clock in the afternoon, you, you hit sell my mutual fund, it will not be that price. It will be the price upon the close. An exchange-traded fund may have the exact same assets in it. It may be that same basket, could or could not be. It just depends on what kind of exchange-traded fund. But you can trade it intraday, that exchange-traded funds trade like stocks. Okay, so what's the, the question here is that if you have an index fund as the underlying asset on which both the exchange-traded fund and the index fund is based, it should have very similar tax consequences. In other words, the only time that you are assessed a tax from the fund itself is when one of the components is swapped out. Joe Schmo company comes out of the S&P 500, Jill Schmo comes in. So that's when there's a real difference. But, you know, if you like trading and you want to have that intraday control, that's fine. We used to say that exchange traded funds were more costly because the cost of the transaction is part of it. But now trading's basically free. So it doesn't really matter. So I don't think you go wrong either way. I really don't. Mark, do you have a, an exchange traded fund versus index fund bias? Yeah. Mark says he uses index funds because he has no interest in trading intraday. It's And also, by the way, if you are the kind of person who's jittery, maybe it is better to have a fund because it will prevent you from getting sucked in intraday. Haven't we learned now, especially in the last couple of weeks, that markets go up and down intraday and it can really trigger some emotions. And maybe having an index fund is is maybe a better option for you because you can sort of say, eh, nothing's going to happen until the end of the day anyway. Most people should not make intraday trading decisions because it usually leads you astray. Marsha says, I don't have a lot of savings. I'm just now getting into a position where I could save a little. Uh, I check my 401k account weekly and it's been losing money rapidly. 
I contribute 6%, my employee contributes 4% and I'm vested. I know Omicron and instability in the world plays a part. Should I be doing something? Listen, the market went down in January. It has been going down. So I don't know how quickly you have been losing money. But if you just send us a screenshot of what you're invested in, we might be able to explain that to you. You know, listen, uh, if you're a new investor, you may not be used to the big swings. And I get that. But it's kind of the price we pay for being investors, unfortunately. Mark, it does not always go up. You know that. I mean, it has been a long time since people learned that lesson. They're learning such dual lessons right now uh, that markets can go down. uh, They can go down on a sustainable basis. And they're also learning that uh, inflation can stay higher than you think for longer. All right. Joe wants to know about cashing in a 401k. Uh Uh-oh. I hate this already. Joe writes, my son's 28 years old. He's got approximately $60,000 in a 401k and he wants to take it all out now and take a $17,000 hit to try to get into his own business. Mm -hmm. Buying his own semi truck and putting all that money as a down payment on his truck. I personally think it's a bad move to take the 401k money out now to put down on a depreciating asset. I would like to know your opinion on this matter. Joe, of course, I'm in your camp. I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, You got to explain to your son a couple of things. One is that when he takes that money out, it's not just taxable income, but he's got to pay a 10% penalty because he's under the age of 59 and a half. You know, if he wants to open his own business, then start squirreling away the money and figure out how to do that. But no, I think it would be a very bad idea to take the money from the 401k, that precious asset. Please be careful. Joshua writes, I listened to your show again this morning on my drive into work. A lot of people I follow have recently talked about the benefits of not taking social security early. I think I'm an exception, but I want to make sure. My wife and I have five kids. She has stayed home with those kids for the past eight years. Now, prior to that, she worked for over 10 years, so she will get a Social Security payout when we retire. Her spousal benefit will be higher than her Social Security benefit, though. I think I'm an exception to the recommendation of waiting until 67, which must be his full retirement age, to file since my wife is five years older than I am. So here's how it works. If I file at 62, she will be able to get the spousal benefit at that time, since she would be 67. I don't anticipate we'll, quote, need Social Security to live in retirement based on pensions and our retirement savings that we have now. I'm 38. She's 43. Social Security benefit at 62 would be $22.59 a month. At 67, it would be $33.04 a month. My wife's Social Security benefit at 62 is $788. At 67 would be $1,120. Thanks. We love the show. Mark, what do you think about this? You think he could be right. It may be this one weirdo thing. He files at 62 and he's got a permanently lower benefit of $2,259, right? She gets half of that. Let me just look at this. It's $2,259. Let's just call it 2260. So then 1130, it's 3390 a month. What if she claims at 62 and then moves on his onto his at his age 67? How would that work? 
he could be right, but you know, of course, it, it's a it's a crapshoot on how long you live. Because obviously, if he's in good health, I think it actually work. It would work well. It depends how long he is expected to live. But he is younger than her, so that's kind of funny. But if you think about it, they forego receiving this thirty four hundred dollars a month at his age sixty two. So for five years, instead of thirty four hundred. They are, I'm just rounding up, they're getting $780. you are losing out on $2,600 times five years, right? And if they do that $700 and then that's his age 67, they're getting five grand a month. So I think, I still think it might work. This is a note from Mandy in New Jersey. And Mandy writes that my spouse and I, we're both in our late 50s, brought our retirement savings, about $350,000, to a quote-unquote fiduciary financial planner. After taking a risk tolerance assessment, we were led to the conclusion that we needed a low-risk plan. Now, we received a very convincing presentation about how we needed a 10-year indexed annuity. So, 150 of the 350 went to that. But we were also sold on buying a liquidity rider that would allow us to get out of it after three years. The balance of the money, so that's about $250,000, went into a managed portfolio. We paid 1.5% on that money with some exchange-traded funds and 21 individual stocks. I wasn't comfortable with the individual stocks, so he moved everything into the portfolio, which he has below. Uh, I don't think this all makes sense. I'm not sure it was in our best interest. And to make matters worse, because the annuity, our asset under management has dropped to a level well below the minimums required by most financial planners. So my question, how bad is this? Am I more upset than I should be? What do you expect my next move should be? Okay, let's see. There's a lot of stuff in here, Mark. There's so many, so many assets here. 21 different assets. This is just a nightmare. We need to go to a, I think he needs to go to a fee-based financial planner. I don't know what to do with this. I mean, the annuity is the annuity. I think this is one of those companies where it's like we have just a managed account and then boom, it's populated with all these things. It's not like this person picked these different things. They are all assets that you could hold elsewhere. Part of the problem is that you just because you just did this, it's really hard for me to like blow everything out. So I think that what I'd like you to do is to talk to, I think we need to interview a couple of different places that will maybe help you assess what the next step should be. The easiest thing I guess to do would be to just move the money to a brokerage account and sit tight for a second and not do anything while that's all happening, but then at least you can remove the fee that's being assessed on you. Yeah, Mark's going to send you the name of somebody in New Jersey who might be able to help you out just to take a look at it. Um, We actually know a fee-only planner in New Jersey who could help you. So let's try to do that. And I just, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like This just feels terrible because it feels like we've had a couple of these, Mark. Mark says it's making his blood boil. Usually it makes my blood boil. I'm just, I am so concerned that I don't want you to be in this place where we have to like incur fees to do this. So I really want to try to be smart about that, right? If you can, let's uh, try to 
move gingerly. Don't like, there's no reason why you have to be like, oh my God, you know, like that. So, um, but we want you to get out of this relationship. We really do. I guess that I'm bummed that if any of these people are putting themselves out there as fiduciaries and they're not acting as fiduciaries, that's completely bums me out. So I'm hopeful that this is one of those cases where we're wrong, maybe. Maybe they weren't really fiduciaries and they never said that. I don't know, Mark. I'm a bummed. I'm a bummed out for sure. Okay, that's it. That's the program. And it is the first day of February. And maybe you're thinking about taxes. Maybe you're thinking about your career. Maybe you're thinking about anything else. But eh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you out. It's so easy to do. Just go to jillonmoney.com and click the contact button. While you're there, sign up for the free weekly newsletter and subscribe to our sister broadcast. It's called Eye on Money. We are always so grateful when you do that and maybe just talk about this podcast. Tell other people that you love it and help us grow the audience. Do something nice for someone else today. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.